If you would, take your Bibles and open them with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. To be honest, the Lord hadn't given me liberty to preach the next portion in the little series we're doing on the parables. Um, Didn't really quite feel led to go there just yet. So I would like for us to consider a few things of what we've been looking at on Wednesday nights. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights and really enjoying focusing on the foundations of the church as an entity. This passage in Acts 4 really stands out to me because I reference a particular verse in it very often. This passage has really been on my heart as of late uh, because of the times that we're in and the the necessity to be about the Father's business, which is the Great Commission, because of the fact that there are people right now who will die today and spend an eternity in a devil's hell that have never heard the name of, D- of Jesus Christ. And that is to the, shame, to the shame of the church. This past week I had a conversation with a guy at work uh, and we talked about that very matter. And we'll, talk, we'll think about that in a few moments. But this passage really speaks to me about that. The Lord has placed a burden upon my heart to, yes, try and reach those who have never heard. And I'm going to tell you what, it blesses my soul that as a church now, we'll, we know for a fact we'll be sowing into a ministry that that is their work, to do just that. To not only take the gospel to people that have never heard it and be able to hear it in their own language, but also establish local churches and disciple them in the Christian faith as well. My heart is burdened for them, but it's also burdened for those here in our nation, here in our area, in our neighborhoods, in in even our own families, our own friends and neighbors that may have heard, but not heard rightly. Because in this country, in this state, even down to some of our own friends and family and neighbors, some of them may may be, be... either gospel hardened or gospel ignorant. They may in fact love their sins so much and just care nothing of the things of God or they have a false sense of conversion, a false sense of conversion because they have not heard rightly. There is going through the world right now many false gospels and one of the worst and one of the most profane of the false gospels is the lie that says there are many Roads or many ways to heaven or to God. Folks, that's a flat out lie. That is a flat out lie. And that is what we are going to consider this morning as we look at Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to read to your hearing the first 12 verses. And I want to speak to you upon this heading. No other name. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. These are the words of God. And as they spake unto the people... The priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through the through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. 
And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we have heard and read not man's words, but your words, your inspired, infallible, and inerrant words. And God, I pray this day that your words would go forth and that you would make them effectual to every heart and to every life that hears them. Father, we pray that you would take this and that you would work in every heart and every mind. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us wills to apply. And we'll be very careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. For we ask this in the good and strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Here we have Peter and John being arrested and imprisoned. And then the next day placed before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and being questioned about what was going on at that time. Well, what was going on at that time? By way of introduction, I want us to kind of think back real quickly on what's happened in the book of Acts up until this point when Peter and John were arrested and taken before the Jewish council. In Acts chapter 1, we're presented with the last words of the Lord Jesus right before he ascends back into heaven. He tells the disciples they're at the Mount of Olives when the Lord Jesus ascends back into heaven and Jesus tells them, go back to Jerusalem and do not leave there. Stay there for I will send the Holy Spirit to you. In Acts 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus was asked by one of the disciples, he says, is this going to be the time in which you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus responds by saying, it is not for you to know times or seasons, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus tells him, he says, it is not for you to know how and when God is going to do what he does. Your concern is just to obey what I have told you. You were to go wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then after that, you take everything that I have taught you to the Jew, to the Gentile, and even to the most backwoods and faraway places where most people don't even know people exist. That command has not changed. That is the business that our Father commands that we're to be about, creating disciples. So the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are standing there. Visualize that in your mind. He ascends back into heaven and the disciples are standing there watching as he's received into the clouds. And it is that, that passage all, always stands out to me. We don't know how long they're standing there just gazing into heaven. Could have been several minutes. Could have just been a few seconds. And then all of a sudden, two angels are there in their midst. And they're like, fellas, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've got, you've been given your, 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 your commission. You've been given your marching orders. 
You go get to it. Jesus just ascended back into heaven. He's going to return just like He said He would. Now go do what He has called you to do. I think of this passage very often because sometimes is that not what we do? Right? Something catastrophic happens. Something catastrophic happens in the world or something happens in our own lives. Something happens in the news. We, we look at the news and see some new level of sin that people have sunk into. And we're usually very quickly to say what? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Or come quickly, Lord Jesus. I do it. I do it too. And nothing would bless my heart more than before we say the last amen, before we conclude this service, to hear that trumpet sound and in the twinkling of an eye be caught up out of here to be in the presence of the Lord and not have to be assaulted with by this world, this flesh, or the devil ever again. But at the same time, we are to labor as if he might not come back for another 2,000 years. And you know what? He may not. It's not for us to know times or epochs or seasons as the scriptures say. We can guess, we can speculate, but we won't know until that day comes. And God has fixed that day. That day is set and it is coming. That time is coming. They will happen, but it is only for God to know when it, when, when that time will come. We are just to be about the business that He has saved us and called us to. So the angels give the disciples a wake-up call. And they return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They go into that upper room. They're gathered in the Scriptures saying they were all praying in one accord. Meaning they were all of the same mindset. The Lord Jesus was at the center of that mindset. That they were, they're all focused on Him. He was the very center of their lives. Could you imagine what their prayer meeting was like? Could you imagine that? calling on the name of the Lord, having no idea what is about to happen. And then in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. And they begin to worship God, not in babblings, but in languages that were able to be understood by people from other lands. And this draws a crowd. And what does the crowd say? Man, them boys must be drunk. That causes Peter to preach. Peter preaches the first sermon post the ascension of the Lord Jesus and 3,000 souls were saved that day. And what was that message that Peter preached? It wasn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Peter didn't tell the people now with every head bowed, with every eye closed, no one's looking around. Peter didn't ask for a show of hands and says, okay, who wants to ask Jesus into their heart? And Peter certainly did not say, all right, come up here and repeat some words after me. The message that was preached that day that brought 3,000 souls to salvation was about Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one whom the prophets foretold. He was proven to be that by God, working signs and wonders. And, and, and he did that in the midst of you. And you didn't believe him. And you had him killed. You had him put to death. Well, Peter says, well, guess what? The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him from rising again. He has been raised and he is alive forevermore. Chapter 2, verse 37 says, the people were hearing this and they were pierced at the heart and asked, what shall we do? They felt the weight of their sin. They felt that guilt against God and wanted to know how to be made right with him. And Peter tells them what every man, woman, and child under heaven needs to do and what they need to hear, and that is repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
3,000 souls did that that day. And then it goes on to say the Lord continued to add to the church daily. In chapter 3, Peter and John were headed up to the temple to pray because they had not yet broken away fully from the Jewish style of worship and tradition. And they meet a man who's sitting outside the gate that was called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate. And he's begging for money and he's lame. He's been lame from birth. Peter and John see him and Peter walks up to him and says, Sir, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that man gets up. That man gets up. And he runs into the temple and leaping and praising God. And this causes the people in the temple to be amazed, which leads to Peter's second sermon. And while Peter is preaching and dealing with the people, this draws the attention of the Sadducees and the Jewish council. And this brings us to our text in chapter 4. And I want to give you three points of an outline. Three points, verses 1 through 12, that uh, help us underline the, uh, understand this passage. Point number 1, verses 1 through 4, we see the ruckus. The ruckus. Look what it says. It says, as, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. There was a ruckus that Peter and John were speaking and not the rabbis or the priests. There was a ruckus because the man who had been paralyzed, who had been lame since birth and sat outside the gate, was now on his feet praising God. There was a ruckus about that. People couldn't get over that. The people in the, in the temple were astonished at the fact that after years of walking past this man and perhaps even have to step right over top of him to get into that gate, to get through that gate and get into the temple to worship. Now here he is. They've stepped over top of him for the last time because he's here leaping and praising God with probably a smile on his face about a mile wide. And they are astonished. They, they are astonished. They, they can't get over it. And there's a ruckus about that. People, people are talking about it. And then there was a ruckus about who Peter and John were preaching about. There was a ruckus because truthfully, Jesus was and is still in the picture. He was not dead. He had defeated death. Yes, he had descended back into heaven, but he was and is still at work building his church. Only now it's through the office of the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. There was a ruckus because Jesus could not be seen, but Jesus was still and is still at work. There was a ruckus because in verse 4, 5,000 more people believed the message of the gospel that was preached in their hearing. That day, 5,000 people stopped being Jews and became born-again Christians. That day, 5,000 people left the legalistic traditions of the Pharisees for the grace, mercy, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a ruckus amongst the people in the, in the temple who were there to worship, and there was a ruckus among the Sadducees in the temple guard. They didn't like this commotion. They certainly didn't like the teachings that they were hearing. The Sadducees didn't believe in the, the teachings of the resurrection. That's how you know the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Helps you remember. The Sadducees 
did not believe in the resurrection. And here Peter and John are preaching that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now drop down to verse 9. Look what Peter says. He says, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent or lame man, why would these, why would these, the Jewish council, the Jewish court, why would they be upset that a good thing was done? It doesn't make sense. They were upset with Peter and John for the same reason that they were upset with the Lord Jesus when he healed on the Sabbath. Those men loved their position, their authority so much that they did not want to see anything or anyone take that away from them, even if it was the sinless Son of God. Their power and their authority and their position had become their idol. It had become their God. And you can rest assured of this. We talked about this last week. Anytime the Lord's work is being done, you can be assured that nearby are those under the influence of the evil one looking for an opportunity to try, and notice I say try, to stop what God is doing. Point number two, look what it says, verses three, and then verses five through seven. Verse three says, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold under the next day, for it was now eventide. Verse seven, and when they had set them in uh, the midst, they, uh, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? So they, they imprisoned them, put them in jail overnight, and then questioned them the next day. In verse three, uh, because of the ruckus, because of what, who was being, because of what was being preached and who was being preached, it's greatly upset the Sadducees, the, 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 the Jewish council. So they put Peter and John in jail and then they placed them before them in the, in the court the next day. And that court had become, had become corrupt because the court was essentially made up of the high priest family. How fair is that? How fair is that? Uh, the, the Jewish religious system had become so corrupt that the offices were passed from relative to another instead of uh, regarding what the Word of God said. And a man could only serve as high priest for one year. And so when Annas' uh, term was up, his son Caiaphas became high priest. And in fact, five of Annas' sons held that office of high priest at one time or another. So this was an official meeting of the same council that just a few months before condemned the Lord Jesus Christ to die. Now, you know this council has to be thinking, and we're going through this mess again. We already, we, we, we already put that one dude to death. Shouldn't, we, shouldn't this be over with? Uh, aren't, aren't we supposed to be done with this? They had to be thinking that. They had to be thinking that it shouldn't we be done with this Jesus of Nazareth. We had Pilate put him to death, and all of this should be behind us now. And now we've got some ignorant and some unlearned men who were associates of Jesus are trying to carry on his work. In fact, they say pretty much that very thing in verse 13. The Sanhedrin were charged with the responsibility of protecting the Jewish faith. And that meant they had to examine every teacher and every teaching that came into the land. They had a responsibility to protect and defend the faith, but they didn't realize that when the very fulfillment of that faith was right in their midst. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 39. He told them, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness of me and you are unwilling to come, come to me so that you might have, so that ye have life. Their question to Peter was legal. By what manner do you do this? 
By what power or by what name have you done this? Their question was legal. But they avoid admitting that a miracle had actually taken place. Look what they say. By what power or by what name have you done this? Doesn't say by what power or, what, or by what man was this uh, or what way was this man healed. By what power have you done this? The, the, the Sanhedrin had the right to investigate what Peter and John were doing, but they didn't have the right to arrest them and not look at the evidence. They were so evasive and they, and, and they would not refer to the miracle as a miracle. They just said, how, how did this happen? And so they were probably scornful when they were saying that. By what You can only imagine how they must have sounded when they said, by what power or by what man or by, or, or by what name have you done this, which brings us to verse three. I mean, point number three. Point three, we see the reason, the reason, the, the, the reason behind the ruckus, the reason behind the preaching, the reason behind the 5,000 people being saved, the reason behind the, the Sanhedrin throwing Peter and John into jail. The reason behind it all is there for us in verses eight through 12. Let's read them again. It says, then Peter Filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, ye rulers of the people of all the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner or the chief cornerstone. And then neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter had come a long way from, uh, from a simple fisherman who had a habit of sticking his foot in his mouth. Amen? Peter and John were common men. They were, they were, they were blue-collar men like most of us. Uh, verse 14, verse 13, excuse me, tells us that they were not classically trained by the rabbis. They received the basic, uh, the same basic training when they were children that all Jewish young men did. But this knowledge of the scriptures, how were they able to quote from the Psalms about a particular prophecy, uh, being fulfilled? Well, that answer is also found in verse 13. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three and a half years and he had instructed all of his disciples about he, how he was the promised Messiah, how he was the Son of God, the one the prophets foretold about. And then after the resurrection, he spends another 40 days with them. And I, be I believe we, can, we see uh, what, what was taught in those 40 days in the epistles of the New Testament. So th the reason why Peter had the liberty authority, unction, and power was the same reason the lame man was no longer lame anymore. And it was the same reason why Peter was uh, able to preach, a, preach, a, preach two sermons and a total of 8,000 people were saved. 3,000 at Pentecost, 5,000 just the day before. It was because of the sinless life, the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him sending the Holy Spirit. All of this was done because of Jesus and in the name of Jesus and by his spirit. It was done on the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and by the power of Jesus. The spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost 
the Spirit comes to dwell within each and every, each and every believer when we, are, when we first trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of our soul. Think about that, folks. The third part of the Godhead comes to dwell within each and every person who believes in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, inside of you dwells the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the baptism of the spirit. It happens the day that a person is converted otherwise known as saved. And that baptism is just like every other means of salvation, a complete and total work of God. And that spirit comes and takes residence and then he convicts us when we sin. He gives us understanding of his word. He lets us know when we're in the presence of another brother and sister, our spirits bear witness the Spirit also gives the believer the capability to accomplish the will of God. And what Peter and John were going through at that very moment was a fulfillment of something the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 18. He says, and you will uh, even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you over, do not worry about how or what you are going to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are going to to say. I mean, you think about it. Peter was just a fisherman, probably pretty rough around the edges. If you would think about it over here in uh, uh, a southern connotation, he probably, if he, if he were over here, he'd definitely have a deep southern accent, a deep southern draw, right? And, 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 and speak slang. And now under the power of God, the Holy Spirit uses his tongue as his sword to bring about the salvation of people's souls. So the reason why all of this was taking place was because of Jesus and the name of Jesus. The man was healed in the name of Jesus. The people were converted in the name and by the power of Jesus. The Sanhedrin were angry because Peter and John were preaching and teaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ was and is the reason for it all. I said at the outset of this message that my heart is continuously drawn to this passage, in particularly verse 12, for a couple of reasons. One, yes, we are living in a day when we're beginning to see Christians persecuted for their faith. Now, we're not seeing it directly as in a, a lot of places around the, around the world but we can definitely say that the last year was an attack upon the church here in North America just to see what those who are wicked in authority can get away with. Because to my knowledge, no, no, other, no other religion, except for a few pockets of Jews, I think, in, in New York, stood against the lockdowns and said, look, hey, this has gone on long enough. It's unconstitutional. It's not right. We must obey God and not man. For uh, we, have, we must uh, gather to worship. I don't know of any other faith that, 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 that did that. I don't know of any others. So we're starting to see the bubbling of that here. Now there are those who are in authority that want to pass law that will make, that would, uh, event, that would systematically make the preaching of the gospel illegal, a hate crime. 
To preach the gospel is to, 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 to say that uh, something is, to name something is sin, to say that a particular sin of the day, such as homosexuality or people living together outside of uh, wedlock or uh, for uh, 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 this transgenderism uh, craze, to say that that is sin, that God does not make mistakes, to say that uh, God does create men and women only and there is no changing in the middle. Uh, you cannot change from one to the other. To say that one day could possibly be punishable by law. We may live to see the very day when that happens. Now, over in China, Christianity is illegal. They kick doors in all the time and will arrest people in house churches for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Why? Because a communist knows Christianity stands in staunch contrast to communism. So that's why I'm drawn, I'm one of the reasons why I'm drawn back to this passage. Because who are we to obey, God or man? But the biggest reason why my heart is continually drawn to this passage is that great heresy, that great lie that is sweeping through the world, predominantly here in North America, especially here in the United States, is that lie that there are multitudes of ways to God. That is the Oprah Winfrey and Joel Osteen type religion that say all religions lead to the same place. Joel Osteen is probably the uh, the, the, the most well-known supposed Christian in America. And he went on Larry King Live, which was a tele television show that um, used to be on the air. He goes on Larry King Live. Larry King asks him directly, if people who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ will go to hell... And you know what that man said? Supposed Christian, pastor. He says, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't say for certain who will and who won't go to hell. I've been to other places. I've been to other countries around the world. I've been to India with my father. I have seen the uh, people there and the sincerity in how they're worshiped. Folks, that is an outright lie. The worship of the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Hare Krishna, the Hindu, the Jehovah's Witness, and the Mormon does not all reach the one true living God. God is not worshipped through many avenues. All religion does not equal salvation with the one true living God. Although uh, uh, Osteen and Oprah Winfrey are, are correct in a sense, all religion does lead to the same place. All religion does lead to God. It leads to God's judgment. But only saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ leads to his heaven and eternal life. What really pushed me to, to this text and this passage this week is right one day this, this past week, right before I was getting ready to leave work and go home for the day, a guy that I work with stopped me and asked me a question. He asked me stuff all the time because I'm a pastor or something and he asked me spiritual questions all the time and he asked he said if a person was born say in a muslim country raised in a muslim faith never hears the gospel what happens to that person when they die i answered without hindrance they go to hell a person will not go to hell because they didn't hear the gospel a person will go to hell because they have sinned against the just and holy god and they will stand before him and be guilty 
and be without excuse. Why? What does Romans chapter 1 verse 20 say? It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. All of creation screams that there is a divine builder. All of creation points to the fact that there is a God from which all things began. And he goes even further on with that with mankind. Mankind was created in his image. I brought this out last week. Mankind was created in God's image, not the animal kingdom. As much as we love those little furry rascals, God did not create the animal kingdom in his image. God created mankind in his image. That's why we know that it's wrong to lie because God is not a liar. That's why we instinctively know that it's wrong to steal because God is not a thief. And that's why we know that instinctively that it is wrong to commit murder because God is not a murderer. And so people know that instinctively. And in reality, it's not that some people have not heard about God but rather the problem is they have rejected what they have heard and what is readily seen in nature about God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 proclaims, but if, there you, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That verse teaches an important principle. Everyone who truly seeks God will find him. If a person truly desires to know God, he will get that missionary to that foreign place. He will get that gospel into that language. He will make himself known to that individual. People reject the knowledge of God in, in present, that is present in nature and in their own hearts. And instead they decide to worship a God of their own creation. That's why there's a multitude of other gods that people contrive and build and worship. And yet people like the guy that I work with still have the audacity to say, well, you know, that's not fair. And I'm reminded of the words of Romans chapter 9, verse 20. Who are you, oh man, who answers back to God? Who are we, the creature, to talk back to the Creator? Who are you to tell Him how He is to rule over His creation? Because let me tell you this, when it comes to the justice and the fairness of God, you and I don't want God to be fair. Because if He were fair, you know where we would be? We would be in hell right now. If God gave us what we deserve, we would be in hell right now. But no, praise God. And we worship God because He is merciful and He has granted us faith and repentance in Jesus Christ who paid our debt on our behalf. If you want to think about it, you want to talk about something being not fair, that's not fair. Everyone who finds themselves in hell will be there for their own doing. Jesus is the only innocent man who ever lived. He died with and, and was he he was punished and died for crimes that he did not commit. That's what's not fair. And one day that mercy will be revoked and God will be fair in judging every man according to his according to their works. It's foolish to debate on the fairness of God sending someone to hell who never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. 
People are responsible for the knowledge that they have of God that he's already revealed to them. And I will say this, it is to the shame of the church. It is our responsibility with our prayers and with our finances to send to, 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 send to missionaries. No, we might not all be called to the foreign field, but God has placed us where we are. As my, my dear friend said last week at the Ice Cream Social, God has placed us where we are and given us the ability and the jobs and the, and the, and the finances or whatever to support those he has called. And I thank God and praise God so much that we're now as a church, we, we are going to be doing part of that. And folks, let me encourage you, pray for the foreign missionary. You don't have to know them by name and we'll get reports uh, every so often about the work that they're doing. But pray, said, God, those who are in the foreign field, use them, protect them because they are out there taking the message of the gospel in places where it is illegal, where they could lose their very lives. So for just a moment in, in, in the few remaining moments that we have before we leave, let's walk through verse 12. Real quick. And let's, let's, let, let's look, look what it says there. For, look, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. What does that mean? It says salvation is not found in any other name at all. No other name. If salvation is to come about, it's going to be accomplished in this one sole name. No others. No other names is salvation granted through. Is salvation accomplished? And we read over and over and over, time and time again in the scriptures, about what is known as the exclusivity of Christ. Christianity is an exclusive religion. Why? Because you have to leave Everything else behind when you come to Christ. Justification, sanctification, atonement, salvation, all of those big words, all accomplished by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 9, because and it boggles my mind, even people that profess to be Christians that want to say that there are many roads to God and Christianity is just the, just the, the one that I happen to fall into. Really? Well, the one that you profess belief in surely didn't say that. John chapter 10, verse 9 says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A door? One of many doors? No, he says, I am the singular door. John chapter 14, verse 6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's not enough, he finishes it off and says, no one comes to the Father but through him. Muhammad, Confucius, the Dalai Lama, Mary Baker Eady, Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, and legions of other voices who were vying for the world's attention do not speak with the authority of Christ Jesus. Each of those persons proclaim another way to God. Their teachings only lead to the judgment of God. Only Jesus can speak with the authority about the about being the only way to heaven. Look what it look again, look what it says, verse 12. No other name under heaven. That name by which salvation comes is unlike any other name given on this earth. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. He says, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him, being Jesus, 
and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that every other name or every other supposed way to God or, or supposed way to heaven is not even lower than the name of Jesus. They do not stand in comparison to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a rebellious spirit out there in the world, in the hearts of many that say, I will never bow before Jesus and I will never confess him as Lord. Oh, yes, you will. Yes, you will. On that day when he returns to judge the world in righteousness and the sheep are separated from the goats, the weed from the tares, you will bow. Every single man and woman will bow in subjection to the king of all kings. Some of us are going to do it and we're going to be filled with so much joy and gratitude. We're going to be, we're going to be bursting at the seams with, yes, here we go. Eternity begins. And then some are going to hit that ground with their knees filled with such fear, more fear than anyone has ever known on this earth. And at that time, it will be way too late. Neither is there any, is there name in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men. And look at this last part, whereby we must be saved. Pay close attention to that word must. Must is defined as compelled uh, as, a, uh, as by a physical necessity or requirement. Compelled as by a physical necessity or requirement. Acts 4.12 tells us that if salvation is to take place in an individual, it has to be. No questions asked. It has to be none in the name of Jesus by the finished work of Jesus or it's not going to happen at all. The word must there gives a sense of urgency it turns that statement into a command. And you know, I'm reminded of some of the most blasphemous and irreverent words I've ever heard a man uh, speak. And he was a former pastor of Saddleback Church in Lakeland, California, an author of a book many of you have probably heard called The Purpose Driven Life, a man by the name of Rick Warren. He goes on Fox News one time and he says, try Jesus for 30 days and, you'll, and you won't regret it. Try Jesus for 30 days like he's some common household appliance. Try Jesus for 30 days, and if you're not satisfied, send him on back and we'll, you'll receive a full refund. Folks, the gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is a powerful command. The Lord Jesus did not leave all of the beauty, perfection, and majesty, and love that he had known for all eternity with the Father and the Spirit to come here and live perfectly, sinlessly in thought, word, and deed, and then die that horrendous death that he did not deserve to die, rise from the dead three days later just for you to try him out and see if he satisfies your desires as if you are the judge. Jesus Christ is Lord and we are not. Jesus Christ is the judge and we are not. Jesus is not just a God at the table of all other gods. Jesus is the only God and all others are false gods. They are idols and they rob the true God of worship that he is rightly due. This is offensive to the world. The exclusiveness and the narrowness of Christ is offensive to the lost and dying world. It goes against the grain of every culture. 
Culture tells you, be all you can be. Get, get all you, you only get one shot at this life, so get all you can, however you can, with whoever you can, however you can. It is self-seeking and self-serving. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ says, come and die. Come and die to yourself. In order to live eternally, you must come and die. Not to come to Jesus and have all of your dreams come true, but come and die to yourself. Leave your sin and the sinful world behind and come and die. You come to Jesus to be saved, to live forevermore, but in the process, you're coming to die to yourself. You come to, to die to your own desires and you crucify them daily and die to them daily and put him first in all things. Not for the salvation of your soul. He accomplished that in his perfect work on the cross, but to display to the world that I belong to Jesus. I have been buried with him in baptism unto death and raised with him in the newness of life. There lies the burden. There lies the burden for the church to reach those who have never heard and to reach those who have not heard rightly. We're on the right track partly by doing what we're doing to try to reach those who have never heard. Pray earnestly for that foreign missionary. But you and I need to be doing our part for the ones who that we know that you know or that you at least question that if they were to leave this world this day, they would not hear, yes, come on in, brother. Come on in, sister. I have a place prepared for you. And let me encourage you and myself as well this day. Be done worrying about what someone may think of you, whether or not someone is going to like you, whether or not someone is going to want to have anything to do with you anymore. If you know they are without Christ, then love them enough to tell them the truth of their need of the Savior. Yes, seek the Lord for the Lord. Give me the the, the words and the capability and the heart to do it in the way that would please you. But tell them the truth of their need of the Savior even if it is at the cost that they may never speak to you again. Because I want to ask you this, is their eternal salvation not worth that? Is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you not motivation enough to push through the fear of man and what they may think or do to us? The motivation is this. This should be in our hearts and minds. This should be our resolve. Jesus has saved me. He has washed away all of my sin. He has made me a new creation with a new purpose and a new home awaiting me when I die, when he calls me home. And because of that, I'm driven to see that others have the same thing. Do you have that motivation within your heart? Can it be found within your heart that that is what you desire? Romans chapter 10, verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, How will they call on them whom they have not believed? How will they believe on him on whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a proclaimer? All of us are to be gospel proclaimers. No, not all from a pulpit. No, not all from teaching a class. But we're all to be the hands and feet and the messengers 
of the gospel to this lost and dying world. It's that heart and that desire found within each of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, how I've so unworthily tried to unfold it. Father, we do pray that we would be people where that heart is found within us, where that mindset is found within us. Oh God, we know that there are people within our lives, they may be neighbors, they may be co-workers, they may be family. And we know, Lord, that they need what we have, not because we were so great, but because in spite of our rottenness, you were so good, you were so merciful, you were so kind, and you were so loving. And it is our desire that we see you be merciful, good, and kind to them. And God, the only way they're going to know is to hear it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God, give us, the, give us the backbone. Give us the words. God, help us to push through the fear of man, no matter what they may think of us. Help us to be considered and only concerned and worried about what you say and what you think of us. Because we don't know, Lord. Our words may be the very seed that could be the catalyst that leads someone to a saving knowledge of Christ. Help that heart to be found within us. Help us, Lord, in these days that continue to grow darker almost by the minute, it seems, to stand for the truth. For there is indeed no other name under heaven, no matter what people say, no matter what people who stand in front of TV cameras, no matter what people may say that have a lot of people cheering them on there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and we thank you and praise you lord that you've saved us through that precious name so father help us use us for your glory in jesus name amen